Hello, and welcome to Rooted and Unwithered. I'm Cole Newton, and since it is Saturday, we're continuing with our series Ex Libris Ad Cor, which means from the books to the heart. And uh, so where we talk about reading, about books in particular and reading in general. And so uh, as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, I have a guest with me again. And so, uh, Eowyn, are you here with us again? Yes. All right. And so Eowyn is my daughter and she has been making us some recommendations for kids books that she loves to read. And so do you have another book for us this week, Eowyn? Yes. What book do you have? The Magician's Nephew, and it's from a series of books that called the Narnia books. Oh. What's the title of it? Chronicles of Narnia is the series. Which of the Narnia books have you read? There's only one you haven't read, right? You haven't finished. And which the, one's that? The Last Battle. The Last Battle. But okay. I, ha- I have two that I haven't finished. I didn't finish oh, The Horse you, and His you, Boy. Yeah, and I didn't finished. finish yeah, The Last Battle. You didn't. Okay. So of the so of the Narnia books that you finished, is this one your favorite? Yes. Huh? Okay. Yep. How many times have you probably listened to this? Twenty five or something. <laughs> something like that? Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And so now you've been listening to is it the audiobook that you've been listening to? No. No, you've been listening to a radio drama? Yeah, radio drama. Yeah, so you've been listening to the BBC radio dramas. Uh, which are awesome, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they have yeah. voices. <clears throat> they have voices and sounds, right? And, and so it makes it uh, very cool. Yes, so it is a wonderful way to listen to Narnia for the first time. Uh, and so uh, now the the magician's nephew. So one of the things that's interesting of this book, right, is that this is when Narnia gets started, right? Yes. So Aslan makes Narnia in this book, right? Yes. Uh, so... And a uh, crazy old man in Narnia books said that it was ridiculous because lions could not sing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It makes it very funny. But Aslan's no ordinary lion, is he? No. No. It's so, Okay, so this book is the, the, the first one that happens because this is what begins in Narnia. Is, was this the first book you read? No, I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first. Okay. But I would, I would say that it would better for kids to read it, like first, because it uh, connects, because it's connected with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe better if you read The Magician's Nephew first, because it shows how the professor gets older, because he's a boy in The Magician's Nephew, and then he's an old man in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it shows how Narnia's created, and in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Narnia's already created for like Mm. 100 and whatever times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, Okay, all right. So you think kids should start with The Magician's Nephew? If they've never read Narnia before? Yes. All right. It's a great book, huh? Oh, yeah. Super fun. Okay. Well, um, Eowyn, will you come back on again to share with us some more books? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Eowyn. Bye. John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion is one of church history's major and most important works of theology. And... I believe that you should read it. And so this episode is going to be a guide 
a little look at some of the different editions um, and hopefully will maybe inspire you to pick up uh, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. So presently I am reading through what many consider to be the definitive edition um, the definitive English translation, I should say, of Calvin's Institutes, uh, which is often called the Ford Battles translation. Um, and so it is in two volumes, and it is a part of the Library of Christian Classics series. Uh, and it is a series that's edit edited by John McNeil, and it's translated by Ford Lewis Battles. Um, and uh, this is, it was... Um, first published in 1960, and so this is a, a more recent translation. Um, and if you are going to read the full definitive version of Calvin's Institutes, um, I am currently almost done with book one of uh, four. There's four books that make up Calvin's Institutes, uh, and so I'm almost done with book one. Uh, I would highly recommend uh, this translation. So it's nice, and it has uh, has really good notes um, at the bottom. It's a tr translation of the the Latin edition that Calvin wrote in. Um, and so the two-volume uh, Ford Lewis Battles translation, um, that's kind of the, the, the definitive English one, and that's probably the best way to go. So I started this last year, and I had the, the great expectation, um, the overzealous hope that I'd be able to read it through in a year um, and then uh, had our, but didn't factor in um, our third baby coming along, and so uh, so I did not finish it, um, and then ended up going down a uh, an epic poem spiral that I'm still working through right now. But um, but have since returned back to Calvin, um, and hopefully, hopefully maybe um, we'll be able to finish it, be able to finish it this year, um, or at least come close. Uh, so one of the things that I am using as a guide in reading through Calvin's Institutes is I'm reading it, uh, reading David Calhoun's, and this is a book published by Banner of Truth. Um, it's his guide to Calvin's Institute, in Institutes, and the subtitle of his book, the title of his book is Knowing God and Ourselves, which um, if you read just the first, the first chapter um, of Calvin's Institutes, you'll know what that's a reference to. And the subtitle is Reading Calvin's Institutes Devotionally. And this book is just a tremendous help. Um, so he breaks uh, the he breaks Calvin's Institutes into 26 different parts. Uh, so there's a chapter, 26 chapters in this book. Um, and so if you really wanted to read through Calvin's Institutes in a year, and that's what I was planning uh, last year, um, you could theoretically read... Um, take take two weeks to read one of those sections that he gives in there um and so and that's completely doable um if you if you have the the discipline and the commitment to do it and so but every chapter um he opens up with a with a he has quotes about uh he, he opens up with a quote from the section that um he's discussing he has quotes interspersed uh throughout um about Calvin and the Institutes uh, from from different writers like um, like B.B. Warfield. Um, he gives us a scripture that goes along with it, gives a prayer from uh, Calvin, um, and uh, then discusses discusses that section. helps you helps you understand a little bit what Calvin is uh, getting at, and then ends with pointing out how uh, pointing out the devotional aspects. Uh, so one of the things that's really helpful about this book. 
um, is that he is that he does. He emphasizes that Calvin was not intending to write dry theology uh, whenever he was writing the Institutes, but instead um, he he and Calvin himself intended the Institutes to be a source of devotion, to be a source of as we grow in biblical truth, that our hearts would be would would be further inflamed with love for God, right? Um, and so, but sometimes um, reading through something that as dense as the Institutes, uh, though though Calvin intended the Institutes to be um, for ordinary Christians, he never, he didn't intend uh, for that to be um, a, a work of ivory tower theology, right? He intended it for ordinary Christians, but even though, but they're very difficult for us because most of us are probably not used to reading theology of that kind of caliber, right? Um, and so, and so, having to stretch ourselves to read something um, like Calvin's Institutes can hinder us from seeing just how devotionally Calvin is intending for it to be. How he is constantly trying to stir not just our minds in thought about the doctrines of God. But he's trying to, to to stir up our hearts to actually love God more, right? Um, and so, David Calhoun's his book. Um, he breaks down all those sections of the Institutes. But um, if you didn't want to read the two volumes of uh, of Battle's translation um, as uh, of of the Institutes, that two volume massive one, Banner of Truth also has another edition of the Institutes, which is a an, an earlier translation, uh, an earlier edition of the Institutes um, when uh, before Cal before the Institutes got as big as they were before uh, Calvin broke them into four different books, um, and so this volume is produced by the Banner of Truth, which. Um, if you have any Banner of Truth books, their books are just gorgeous to hold, um, wonderful books to have. Uh, and so this is a translation from Robert White, who has also translated a lot of um, Calvin's sermons. And he is translating uh, the 1541 edition. So this was um, uh, more than a... More than a, more, almost two decades um, earlier than the final edition of Calvin's Institutes that was published in 1559, right? Um, and so this this edition um, has only has 17 chapters, and um, it is definitely a shorter book. Um, now, don't don't think that it's just going to be a little bit light reading, right? So it's still 822 pages. Um, so, but, uh, but if you do want a smaller edition, um, and, uh, of the institutes to read, then you can grab that edition. Uh, Banner of Truce has published it as Calvin's own essentials edition. Um, and indeed this was, um, kind of the version that he intended for his, for, for, for a lot of his congregation. Um, and Robert, Robert White is translating it from the French, uh, this is a, an edition that Calvin produced in French for his own people there in Geneva, right? Um, and thankfully, David Calhoun's book um, also includes um, also includes the sections for that edition as well. Um, so you can so you can still read David Calhoun's um, guide to reading Calvin's Institute devotionally um, with that edition. He gives he gives the the page numbers. 
the the sections for for whichever edition of Calvin's Institutes you would like to go with, whether you want to go with the final edition, or would, you would like to go with the with Banner of Truths, uh, 1541 shorter edition of the Institutes. Um, there's also if you want to go the a, a cheaper route, um, you can also get a another version of the full the the full final form of the Institutes um, from probably a lot of publishers. The one that I have in my hand is Hendrickson Publishers. Um, and it's the, tr- it's the translation by Henry Beveridge. Um, and so he has, uh, Henry Beveridge is, was a part of the, the Calvin Translation Society or, um, or something like that. Um, and uh, so, but he has, he's done a, a lot of the translations for Calvin's works, um, for, for many of Calvin's commentaries, uh, for I think a lot of Calvin's letters, and yes, the Calvin Translation Society. Um, and so uh, this is still a um, everything that I know. That it's a, a good translation of the book. This edition is all in one volume. Uh, the print is a little bit smaller, um, and so but uh, but so it's a, a little bit more economical ec- economic um, purchase. It'll be a little bit cheaper than buying the the, the Battles translation with those two editions. Um, and so, and it does include at the end, um, includes a section where it gives the book, the whole book of Calvin's Institutes in 100 aphorisms or, or, you know, short little, short little statements. And so that's a, that's kind of a helpful thing to read that kind of gives you a, a scope of the book all in one go. And so, um, that's a, another edition that you could pick up. And grab, but there's also um, some other helpful, some other helpful things. Like I have um, a book from Grace Publications uh, in a series that they put out called Great Christian Classics, and they put out a book called Biblical Christianity by John Calvin. And what it is is it is just an abridged version of Calvin's Institutes, uh, and it's a, um, and so they it is. It has, it's broken up into all the same parts. So part one, part two, part three, part four for the different, for the, for the four books uh, that Calvin divided his, uh, his, his institutes into. Um, And so this is just, you know, think of that as a Cliff Notes version of Calvin's institutes. But if you wanted kind of Calvin's own Cliff Notes version um, of the institutes, I would suggest that you get um, another Banner of Truth book. This one is a part of, this one is a, a little bitty, little bitty leather bound book that they, that they produce. Uh, I think they have six, six of these leather bound pocket books um, and it's called Truth for All Time. And so this is, um, like I said, very small pocket sized book and um, they say um, in there that this was a a little book that Calvin wrote. It is a resume of the first edition of his Institutes, and many of the passages in it are taken word for word from that earlier work. So the original, um, Calvin's original edition of the Institutes had six chapters. This little book has six chapters, and so this is, uh, so if you wanted, you know, Calvin's kind of like pamphlet version, his booklet version of his original Institutes, uh, this little booklet from Banner of Truth, this little nice leather leather book, um, Truth for All Time, that's it. And so um, 
really, if you want to get started with Calvin, um, this is probably the place that I would that I would send most people to um, to this or another one of those leather books, little leather booklets that Banner of Truth puts out um, is another one by Calvin, which is called A Guide to Christian Living. And so this is uh, not a resume of Calvin's Institutes, like Truth for All Time is, but instead uh, this is actually a section from Calvin's Institutes. Uh, and so this is a um, this is five chapters, uh, according to the final to the final edition of it, um, and and they have a, a long tradition of being published as as a separate book all in their own right. Um, but it has five different, so five different chapters, scriptural foundations for Christian living, denying self, the key to Christian living, living under the cross, the glory of the life to come, the blessings of this present life. And so, um, this little edition from the banner of truth is a, is a wonderful one, wonderful one to have. Again, it's a translation by Robert White. Um, from, from, from Calvin's French edition of this. Um, I actually did a study of Calvin's little book on the Christian life, um, but I didn't use that edition from Banner of Truth. Instead, I used a more recent edition from Ligonier uh, that they put out, um, and uh, they, did, they did a translation of it from the Latin edition, and this is also just a really beautiful little book. And so, um, and so either one, uh, from, from, from Ligonier or from, or from Banner of Truth, uh, would be great ones to have, to add to your collection. And this is, uh, this is a book to just return to over and over again. It's so good. Uh, there's, there's, there's a reason why there's a long tradition of that being published separately as its own little book, even though it's a, a piece of, the Institutes is because it can be read separately. Um, and it has just so many nuggets, so many great, great portions to, to go from. And actually the, the quote that I'll read at the end of the episode is going to come, uh, from, from that book. And so, uh, truth for all time, a guide to Christian living, or also called a little book on the, a little book on the Christian life. Those are great places to start with Calvin's Institutes. And it is worth saying, um, don't be scared of reading something like Calvin's Institutes. And again, Calvin did not write this for for the ivory tower theologians, for academia, right? He wrote it for the average everyday Christian to, to, to teach what the Christian faith is about, the basics of the Christian faith. And if you dive in, if you do read this, um, uh, you will discover there's, there's nuggets all throughout it. Um, so one of the things that was interesting was I was just reading it this morning, and um, and here is a a little bit of a nugget that a little bit of a thought that I had. So I am presently reading uh, chapter sixteen of book one, where Calvin has been discussing God's providence, right? And he has been essentially um, dismantling, uh, going against what we now would call deism. Uh, so the belief that God uh, exists, but he created the world and then he has stepped back and he has just let uh, let everything go however it's going to go, right? God's not active in creation. Calvin's essentially going against that and saying, no, God's hand of providence is over everything. God is actively involved in every single aspect of his creation. And so Calvin has this that he, that he says, and he says, if God's governance 
is so extended to all his works, it is indeed a childish cavil to enclose it within the stream of nature. Indeed, those as much defraud God of his glory as themselves of a most profitable doctrine who confine God's providence to such narrow limits as though he allowed all things by a free course to be borne along to the, according to the universal law of nature. For nothing would be more miserable than man if he were exposed to every movement of the sky, air, earth and waters. And I read that and I was like, I had this thought pop into my head. So if you've ever heard of, um, a philosopher named Charles Taylor, he wrote several years ago, a book called the secular age, um, which became pretty popular. I think he's a Roman Catholic philosopher. Um, and so, but, uh, um, you can, debate the merits of his work. But I think one of the things that's probably most helpful about that work, whether we agree with him or not, and um, he did attribute much of uh, secularism today, the triumph of secularism today to the the Protestant Reformation. Um, But uh, I think one of the things that he is pretty helpful with is is putting a lot of terminology to things um, in the secular world. Uh, so like he gives like terms like the social imaginary, which is kind of like what we're catechized into the stories that we tell each other, right? The, 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 um, not really the worldview, but instead like kind of the, the, the water that we swim in with our culture, right? (laughs) Um, all the things that all the things around us, but two terms that he gives to kind of distinguish between, uh, the, the modern secular, you know, secular human, the person who's been raised in the modern secular world and someone who has been raised and someone who, who, who lived before, uh, the modern age and before secularism is he talks about porous or buffered selves, right? Um, and so he would say that, that those who lived in the ancient world, uh, or, you know, pre-modern, that they were that they were porous selves, that they, that they saw themselves as exposed to the spiritual elements. Right. Um, so I think, um, I think it was Michael Horton that gives a really great illustration of this, where he says, where in, uh, Martin Luther's hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, where he, where we sing, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Right. That was, that was the world that Luther lived in, right? Where there's, an, there's there's angels and devils all around, right? And we are exposed to them at all times, right? Well, contrast that with our present day, where uh, Charles Taylor says that we have that we are now uh, buffered selves, right? Where we where we are largely materialists. Um, so even even. Many Christians who would affirm that we do believe in the supernatural, that we do believe believe in God's active hand of providence over the world, still in a lot of ways we are practically materialists, right? Uh, we 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 may affirm the belief in angels and demons. We may, may sing that song, and though this world with angels with devils filled should threaten to undo us, but do we really believe it, <laughs> right? Uh, do we really believe that demons are are all around us and are out to get us if it were not for God, you know, sending his angels to, to, to protect us, you know? Um, and I think that kind of checks out, right? So you have 
the ancients that are that are porous to all of the spiritual elements, right? And we today, we are buffered by our unbelief. And yet, I do love that Calvin, uh, writing as a pre-modern, right, um, in that passage almost seems to predict that the modern secular buffered self uh, is not not as buffered as we would like to believe that we are, right? Because that's exactly what he's talking about there, right? The people who who want to enclose God purely within the stream of nature. They want to discount all of the supernatural, all of the spiritual uh, ways that God is working in the realm altogether, and they want to limit themselves to only the universal laws of nature that God has decreed for them. And Calvin says that when we do this, which is and largely our society, what our society has done, we not only defraud God of his glory, but we also defraud ourselves, deprive ourselves from a most profitable doctrine, from comfort. And I love this last line where Calvin says, for nothing would be more miserable than man if he were exposed to every movement of the sky, air, earth, and waters. And indeed, if we take depression and anxiety statistics into account, we may indeed be the most miserable society recorded, right? <laughs> We're certainly not the most, uh, not the most oppressed, right? Uh, we, we are definitely the most comfortable society that's ever existed, but we, we're probably in the running for the most miserable, right? And it's interesting that Calvin... He says that when we have stripped ourselves of God, limited ourselves to purely nature, then what we've essentially done is we've exposed ourselves to nature. We've no longer, we have, we have robbed ourselves of the comfort of knowing that all of nature, that all of this world, that all of creation is being governed by God. And so Calvin, as a pre-modern, right, is, 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 you know, almost almost taking pot shots at uh, Charles Taylor and saying, you know, no, we're not the poorest one. We're, we're not, or we're not the 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 poorest ones. You know, um, you are. You're the ones that are exposed. We're buffered by the God of Providence, the God who holds all things in His hands, right? Um, but materialism that is that is what's going to leave men porous leave men open to everything. And so um, if you read Calvin's Institutes, um, there's little little nuggets like that all, all throughout. And so, um, so don't be scared. Don't be scared of reading his Institutes. Um, again, great places to start are with The Truth for All Time or Calvin's little book on the Christian life. Um, and hopefully that helps you. And hopefully my discussion has helped you with knowing kind of which edition you might want to go with. And so as I have been doing, I'll close us out with a quote. And I, uh, like I said, I'm going to be reading from, uh, I'll be reading from the Ligonier edition of Calvin's little book on the Christian life. And this is uh, one of my favorite quotes that of, of, of anything that I've ever read from Calvin. In fact, I have it bracketed off in my book uh, and have written in the margin, meditate on this thought. And so I do encourage you to do this. So um, it says this, this is Calvin. This is a marvelous thing 
We are consecrated and dedicated to God, to the end that we might not think, speak, meditate, or act unless it be to his glory. The sacred can't be put to profane use without injustice to God. If we are not our own but the Lord's, it's clear what errors we must flee and what we must direct our whole lives toward. We are not our own. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own. Therefore, let us not gratify, let us not make the gratification of our flesh our end. We are not our own. Therefore, as much as possible, let us forget ourselves and our own interests. Rather, we are God's. Therefore, let us live and die to him. We are God's. Therefore, let his wisdom and his will govern all our actions. We are God's. Therefore, let us, in every way, in all our lives, run to him as our only proper end. Thank you so much for listening. For more resources for knowing and loving God's word, please visit bcnewton.co. And if any of this has been helpful to you, please like, comment, or share with someone who you think might find it helpful. And until next time, grace be